I do invite you now to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. And we're going to read Daniel chapter six. It's on page 1012. Now, that's not possible. Now, let me get there. There we go. Thank you. Seven hundred and forty three in your pew Bibles. going to read the whole chapter. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a grounds to complain against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes any petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 
My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions for they, their, they, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open your word to us. Help us to see what it is here that you would have us to see. Help it to change us and help it to bring us close to our Savior. We pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Familiarity can help, can keep us from seeing what's right in front of us. Have you ever noticed that to be the case? When you're familiar with something around you, um, you're familiar with the way that things are, that they can kind of keep you from saying, from seeing what's right in front of your face. I'll give you an example. Uh, There was a time uh, when Natalie made me a delicious cherry pie. It's my favorite thing that she makes. She made me a cherry pie and she set it on the countertop. And um, I walked in from work. She didn't tell me about this. And Uh, I strolled through the kitchen and I even put my keys right down in the spot where I always put my keys right next to the cherry pie. And I didn't see it. I just walked in or walked through the house and went about my business until she texted me later and said, did you see what, what I, what I made you? Have you eaten any of the cherry pie? And what are you talking about? I had to go down right. I'd, I'd walked right past it. But I was so familiar with the layout of the kitchen and how I normally moved about the house that I missed the beautiful cherry pie that was right in front of me. This kind of thing happens all all the time, doesn't it? And it happens with Bible passages, too. We can become so familiar with stories, stories like Noah's Ark, right? Jonah and the fish. Daniel and the lion's den. That we just kind of say, yeah, I already know that. Um, I know that story. I know that thing that happens in biblical history. Um, And we just coast right past it. And we miss the beautiful cherry pie in the middle of the text that God has designed for us to see. This text is a beautiful one. 
It's famous for a reason. It's familiar for a reason, right? It just jumps and grabs our attention and captures our imagination. But what I want us to do today is to lean in and look at this text three times. I'm going to cycle through it quickly three times. And each pass as we go through, I want to see that there is more to this text than we might have assumed. And that familiarity might have kind of dulled our spiritual senses to what's at work here. Let's push back against what we know to be the case with this text and lean in and say, what is God having us see? And what is he having us apply to our hearts? So the three passes to the text. First of all, first of all I want us to see that this text is a, fam- a familiar story. And then second, I want us to see that this text is a foreshadowed story. And then finally, I want us to see that this text is a personal story. The first pass of the text, the familiar story. I want us to just look at what's here and what we might have missed. And the beauty of this passage, uh, as it has been crafted by the very hand of God. Daniel, in this text, in real history, it's about late 70s, early 80s. Do you know that? He's seen mighty kings rise and fall. He's seen powerful empires come to be overnight and then come crumbling down. Daniel, who's become one of the highest officials in the king's court, is like this steady ship that just sails through the waves and the coming waves of of empires. And yet he's steady through it all. He endures it even as kings come crashing down. How? We see it clearly in our text. Daniel is faithful. He has this persistent faithfulness to the God of Israel. This long obedience in the same direction from his early years and then going on and on and on. He is this man who hasn't forgotten who he is. And he hasn't let his place in the king's court dull his senses to that. Who is he? He belongs to the God of Israel. And so verse four, what do, what do people think of when they think of Daniel? They say he's faithful. An excellent spirit is in him. He loves the law of his God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that you, um, wherever you are in life, that Daniel stands to you at, as this beautiful example? Something to aspire towards. You say, I want to be that when I'm in my late 80s. Maybe you are, you know, in your late 80s or moving towards there. And you say, yeah, I want that to be me now. Daniel is so faithful that actually this is the very thing that Daniel's enemies grab a hold of. Jealous co-workers finally figure out a way to crack this guy. And the only way they can crack him, they, they can't take him down through his integrity because they know that's not going to crack. And so what do they do? The only way they could stop Daniel is to use his integrity against him. And so they come to him, to the king in verse five with this plan, a sinister plan. Oh, king, isn't it time to remind your people of your greatness? So go ahead and write the decree. Tell the people 
that whoever worships anyone besides you in the next 30 days goes to the lion's den. That'll make them remember who's boss. That'll show them who's king in this country. And who knows why? It has to be some crazy streak of pride or just bending to the will of these officials. But Darius signs that decree and it's law just like that. Can you imagine that? Imagine you're Daniel and you hear about this law. You've heard it's coming down the pipeline. This is what the politicians are trying to get into um, the law of the land. And then you you can imagine Daniel sitting and he's watching and saying, what's going to happen? Surely the king's not going to sign this. And then he does. And Daniel gets the news that overnight, just like that, the law of the land is for the next 30 days. You only worship, you only pray to Darius. What do you do? What do you do if you're Daniel when you, you, you're walking down the street and you hear the roar from the lion's den? And then you hear the decree. Do you compromise? You say, it's only 30 days. People just lay low, not stir things up. Do you start a riot? Gather anyone you can. If it's you alone, go go try to take down the king. How dare he? What do you do? Notice what Daniel does. He prays. Daniel does what he's just always been doing. He prays. Notice that in our text. It makes the point to say Daniel did what he did previously. You see, this is really important. This is what Daniel has been doing for over 70 years. Three times a day, he goes. He bows down. He prays towards Jerusalem, remembering the God he serves is the God of the people of Israel, that he belongs to that God. He prays. He's not doing anything out of panic, like, oh no, this law came, so now I have to pray. No, he's just attending to his regular spiritual discipline, his regular habits of word, prayer, reminder that he belongs to this God. And notice that he doesn't go out of his way to do this, right? He doesn't go right into the the city square and say, all right, this is my form of protest, I'm going to pray. But he also doesn't hide in his closet. He opens the windows where anyone could see him and he prays. And here's where I remember as a kid, I started to feel really uncomfortable. When people started reading this part in the text where Daniel starts praying, I started to kind of sweat a little bit. I'm like, Daniel, stop. Daniel, don't do this. You know what's going to happen. They're going to see you, man. But he does it. He prays because he's not a coward, because he's faithful to his God, because he's not afraid of the law of the king. He's more fearful of the law of God. You know what's going to happen. They do see him. They do arrest him, haul him in before the king. And that unshakable law, the law of the Medes of the Persians, it's not unshakable, but it is for the king, sentences Daniel to the lion's den. You ever seen a lion at the zoo? I have, and um, I, 
I heard, I heard Matt Frazier talking about the lion. He likes to take a lion. He has these two little figures, and he puts them up against each other. and goes, roar. Yeah, that's what lions do, right? And you, you know, you play, we play with the lion's toys. We cuddle up to lion's figures. We look at them in the zoo, and they're pretty innocent. Let me give you a little test, though. What if you took a wrong turn at the zoo, and you fell over the fence, and you're right in the middle of the lion's cage? How would you feel? Totally different, right? That's not a safe place to be. Now, realize these lions were not tame. These were not domesticated lions, even remotely. They were lions that every day lived in this dark pit and they were thrown uh, food. Whatever was thrown down there, they ate. It doesn't matter what it was. Person, goat, you know, whatever. They ate it. This is a nightmare, a living nightmare where Daniel goes in his den is a place of sharp teeth that shred and destroy. And you don't come out of that pit. You go there to die. That's why Darius spends the whole night panicking over what he's done and the situation he's put Daniel in. He spends the whole night. What can I do? What do I do? I hope he doesn't die. He's my best official. He's innocent. Here's the the great irony in this. While Darius panics in his palace all night, Daniel finds peace in the den. An angel of the Lord comes, stops the mouths of the lions from opening and consuming him. I almost imagine Daniel laying up against a lion as, as a pillow. He could have done that. It would have been okay. Don't try that at home. <laughs> what is this text about? We see it here at the, at the, at the end where, da- where Darius finds Daniel alive and he just publishes decree. He says, Daniel's God is the real deal. He delivers. He is faithful. He protects those that stand firm. Isn't this just a beautiful passage about the power of God's deliverance? It's just jumping off the page. Is there any of this that maybe you've just let roll past you because of the familiarity of this text? Well, there's even more. Second pass through the text. This text is a familiar story. Even now, you've seen some of that familiarity being shaken, I hope. But it's also a story that foreshadows something. It's, it's a fuller story than what we see right on the surface. Because when we read this story in the context of the whole Bible, from beginning to end, we start to notice something. That there are connections just everywhere leaping off this, this page. Have you, did you hear it? Did you see the connections? A faithful man of God becomes the target of jealous and power-hungry men. This innocent man is unjustly accused, arrested while postured in prayer before the God. The governing authority desperately tries to free him, but he falls short. He seals him away in a place of the dead for a time, only to find that he's alive. 
God has not abandoned his servant, but no, he has gone with him to rescue him. And in fact, he's not only rescued him and brought him life from the grave. He's exalted him to the highest places. Who's that story about? Is that Daniel? Or is it Jesus? Is that Daniel in the lion's den or is it Jesus in the lion's den? You know, I can't quite get my thoughts straight when I put it that way, right? You see the parallels? Do you see the connections? So many of them that you talk to the Bible critics that don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. And they they say, well, would you look at that? The gospel of Jesus is just copying all this stuff. Just Daniel 2.0. That's what Jesus is. You know, scripture tells us it's actually the other way around completely. The story of Daniel foreshadows the gospel of Jesus. The story of Daniel points forward to all that Jesus the king was going to come and do. Jesus the faithful servant, Jesus God's son, did for sinners like us. Remember what we read in Luke chapter 24. We just finished that sermon series in Luke. And listen to Luke chapter 24. Verses 25 through 27. Jesus is speaking uh, on that road to Emmaus. And he says, Oh, foolish ones and slow at heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let me repeat that again. The things concerning himself. So I wonder at what point on the road to Emmaus, Jesus got to the story of Daniel in the lion's den and said, hey, did you notice this? Did you notice faithful servant of God has to suffer, that the faithful servant of God, though innocent, is going to be arrested and convicted unjustly under the governing authority? Did you know he has to go to the place of the dead? Did you know that God's going to save him? Did you know that this is about me? See, Jesus is the greater Daniel. Daniel was always just a shadow kind of pointing forward to Jesus. A vivid shadow, but one who makes way for the king and says, it's all about him. And so when we get to Jesus and we read of his story, it's like it sends lightning bolts back to the text of Daniel and it just energizes it with this gospel focus. And you say, ah, so when Jesus, the greater Daniel, goes to the lion's den... When he goes to the cross, when he goes to the tomb, what is he doing? He's battling the powers of sin and death. He's battling Satan himself, the roaring lion. And what is he doing when he dies? You say, well, Daniel didn't die, but Jesus does. Why? Because Jesus, the greater Daniel is showing us what it takes to shut the mouths of lions. In order to silence death and the devil, death has to be conquered with death itself. And so Jesus dies and then rises again on the third day to show that God really does have a plan. 
to preserve us through the, the lion's den, through death itself. And that plan is what he put in place through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe in that Savior? I have to ask that from time to time. Ideally, every, every week. Have you trusted in this Savior, in this greater Daniel? Have you believed in him? And what I mean by that is, have you said to God, I am nothing without this Jesus. I need him. I need what he did for me in order for me to survive. In order for me to make it through the lion's den and and, and to the gates of heaven, I need this Savior. We've seen this text is a familiar story. It's also a foreshadowed story. And finally, it is a personal story. You've already started to see me getting at that. Because when you are connected to Jesus by faith, when you're united to him and you're tethered to him in that inseparable connection, when you are bound to him and he is bound to you by the power of his spirit, guess what starts to happen? What happens to the vine happens to the branches. What happens to the head happens to the body. What happens to Jesus starts to be lived out in this beautiful way in our own lives. Our lives become Daniel-shaped. They become Jesus-shaped. We, too, find ourselves surrounded by people that are jealous of us because of what God is doing in our lives. You ever seen that? You say, you know, I don't get what this person has against me. Could it be that they see Jesus in you? That, and that when they looked at Daniel, they saw Jesus in Daniel? It bothered them. We too find ourselves surrounded by jealous coworkers, a culture that feels threatened by our message, a roaring lion seeking to devour us, that's Satan. And there are times when, don't you feel this? It's like the lion's teeth. You can almost feel them start to sink into your neck a bit. Life is hard. People make life hard. Satan is strong. scary to hear the lions roar. It's scary to see the people conspire. You start to say, am I crazy? (laughs) Jesus wasn't crazy. Daniel wasn't crazy. This is what happens to those that are faithful to God. This is what happens to those that are united to Jesus. They start to experience persecution, identification with him. They're targeted. And so the question is, what will you do? What will you do when you end up on the blacklist of your coworkers, of your friends, of your companions of the world? What will you do? What will you do when the company that you work for requires you to celebrate open sin? Jump on board. Join the celebrate sin train. And don't call it sin, by the way. Call it human progress or or, um, empathy or or whatever. They say, you know, don't jump on board and don't question it or you lose your job. What do you do when the laws of the land clash with the unchanging law of God? 
What do you do when political figures put in place overnight legislation, which you say, I cannot do that and still remain faithful to God? What do you do when your classmates, your companions threaten to blacklist you if you don't talk and drink and party like they do? What do you do when they threaten to throw you to the lions? What do you do when you're threatened with death? Will you compromise? Will you stand firm? You know, maybe you felt that moment. Have you felt that moment? You're at the crossroads. Decision-making time. What do I do? When you're there, you need to realize that you've seen this movie before. Twice. It actually happened in history. Daniel and the lion's den. Jesus and the cross and the tomb. And you need to see that you can stand firm in the power of the gospel, in the power of your identity with Jesus. You can endure the lions. They are so scary. Their roar frightens you, but they will not consume you because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. In fact, the worst that the lions can do is kill you. And even if they do that, what happens? You go to be with Jesus. You follow his path from from suffering, from death, into life. And on judgment day, when we stand before God, we have this beautiful identification with him where, where we are like, you know, Daniel with the lion's mouth shut. And there's nothing they can do to consume us or roar against us because we're found in Jesus, safe in him. You know how you start to get that set in your mind and you, you prepare to face the lions? It's with prayer. That's what Daniel did. That's the last thing I want you to see here. We make this story personal and we see how personal it is. I want you to see that Daniel, in his identification with the future Messiah, prayed every day three times. And what was he doing? He wasn't just following some some ritual. What he was doing is he was setting the basic patterns that build around us this hedge of protection. It's like every day when he reminded himself of who he was and who God is, he's putting down another brick and building a wall around himself, making his soul a sanctuary devoted to God so that when the waves came crashing down, he stood firm. Is that what you do? Do you pray? What do you need to change about your prayer life so that you are regularly postured before God, remembering who you are and especially who you are in Jesus? In Jesus, friends. So that when the lions roar, when the waves come crashing, when death is at your doorstop, you stand firm. We ought to go to that God in prayer right now, doing what he's taught us to do in Daniel. Let's do that now.